0: Welcome to MVP, the Minimum Viable Podcast, where you'll hear lessons and stories from the front lines of the world of technology, aimed specifically at early stage companies. Now, here are your hosts, Doug Armour and Owen Sagnus. We've got some great topics selected for today. I don't know what the topics are. Doug is just going to start throwing some questions at me and we're going to have a great conversation.
1: So the theme for today's episode, uh, is the most important things in business. Thankfully you picked a small topic. <laughs> <laughs> Owen, so the first question I want to kind of dive into, I'll just set this up here. So when I look at business problems, or I always like to look at what is the most important things that get the most impact for what you uh, do through oh, your career, Owen, you've been exceedingly successful. I think by any measure you've worked for fortune 50 companies managed teams and business massively successful. So I'm wondering, what is it, what skills have allowed you to really prosper and flourish within the business activities you've been doing something that if someone who's just starting a startup or is just new to business, what is it that they should really be focusing on so that they can get the most bang for the buck early on and start them off on the right trajectory?
0: You know, I think that's a, an interesting question. I think it changes to be honest. Uh, I think there are a lot of transitions that you make throughout your career and what makes you successful in one part of your career is unlikely to be the thing that makes you successful later. So I'll give you an example. When you're an individual contributor and when I started as a software engineer, the things that you do in a way are for your own benefit. Somebody asks you to do something, you manage your time, you, you plan it out and you do it when you make the transition to becoming a manager you then achieve results not based on what you do but on what your team does and maybe how well you interact with other people that uh, are dependent on your team so there's these there's all these different transitions that happen throughout the career and uh, so early on it's it's very much about are you working hard do you you know have the skill set are you continuing to develop uh, you know, are you achieving the goals that you need to achieve? Are you great at working as a team member? Because I always say nothing significant in the world gets done by one person. Problems are too complicated and and really organizations are just networks of people. And and so those are the kind of things that when you're an individual contributor are really important. It really changes though as you become a manager and then as you become a more senior manager. The biggest transition is you've got to learn how to achieve results through other people. Uh, So as a manager, you're managing a team. Then you take on your next job, maybe you're managing managers. So then the, the skills that you've learned about how to influence and how to drive results through a team of individual contributors, well, that changes because now you're a level removed from the individual contributors. And so you've got to learn how to, not only work with the managers that report to you, but you've gotta learn how to influence the individual contributors that are now a level away from you. And it, it continues to change over time as you get more and more senior. So eventually you become in charge of something called, uh, you become like a functional leader. So maybe I'm heading up sales, I'm heading up marketing, uh, product management, whatever it is and eventually you you reach a stage where you are responsible for the entire organization so you're the CEO and so the skills that you need to be really successful as a CEO that's a vastly different skill set than what you need to be doing as a software engineer now i would say that if i look at that entire continuum and i look at let, let's just say everything from being a manager up to being a CEO is there one skill is there one factor that is is the most important what i found is it's actually people Uh, so it's having that ability to understand and and hire and retain who are the great people you can look at different elements ability attitude motivation etc but successfully being able to get the right people in the right roles where they're going to deliver the greatest impact i'll give you i'll give you an example i remember i was a i was a manager managing a sales team i took over the team from another guy and so we're doing the transition he says well you know there's there's this guy on the team let's call him jim jim's not very good i don't think he's gonna make it uh you really probably should get rid of jim so i start meeting the team and thinking about who i should have on the team should i make any changes should i keep the team the way it is and i'm talking to jim and i really like jim i think jim is maybe the top sales guy on the team but jim isn't very motivated uh and so you know back to this idea of ability attitude motivation i think he had the ability i think his his attitude maybe wasn't showing up the way it should because he wasn't motivated he wasn't having fun and so i made a bet on jim and said well hey I'm gonna assess what I think his skills are, match him up with the sales territory that I think is gonna be best for him. And lo and behold, he turned into a rock star. So I think it's that ability to really understand the raw material that you're dealing with as a leader, who the people are, what their skills are, how to best deploy those skills um, so that people can achieve results. And and that that goes through the entire continuum being just a first level manager right up to being the CEO. I think one of the things that does change as you become more and more senior, the amount of time you spend on people is greater and greater because in a lot of ways, you end up having less and less ability to directly affect the outcome of, of the business. Now, yeah, there are the there's the odd CEO. I mean, people used to talk about uh, Marissa at, at Yahoo, Marissa Meyer. And you know, she was still doing coding while she was the CEO. That's pretty unusual. Uh and and so really as as CEO, you're in this this boat of everything you do is influence. And it's all about the people that you're working with. And that could be the board. It can be the people inside the organization. It can be customers, partners, uh, you know, shareholders. Uh, it really is all about people at, at that stage. And so I think if, if I had to pick one thing, uh, I would probably pick people, but there's there's another element to that. And the element that I'm thinking about is culture. So you can get the right group of people in an environment, but if the culture isn't the right culture, they're not going to do very well. So I, I remember once taking over a team. Uh, the team hadn't hit their numbers in five years. So I come into the job and uh, I'm getting my feet on the ground, meeting everybody, going out and seeing customers, attending team meetings, that sort of thing. And my conclusion early on was that the people were great and uh, the problem was the culture wasn't great. So to give you an example, sat in a sales meeting and the sales leader, sales VP that reported to me was listening to the forecast predictions from various sales managers. One sales manager gets up and says, "Uh, yeah, we're not going to make our forecast this quarter. And the response from the sales VP was kind of like, oh, that's too bad. You know, let's move on. (laughs) And so I took him aside afterwards. I said, well, what I would rather see uh, is a culture of accountability, which is that that sales manager says, well, the forecast is at risk, but here are all the things that we are doing to make sure that we don't miss the forecast. You know, Really kind of taking accountability for that. And also here's what I need, or even the sales VP saying, what could I offer you in terms of assistance that would help you meet the forecast? And so there were all these sort of cultural elements that I was seeing, which, hey, great people, well-trained, very professional, but the culture around them was a culture where they weren't being held accountable. They didn't feel like they were accountable. And so that was one of the first elements that I had to modify when I got there was to create this culture of accountability. And by the way, I mean, it's a long story, but we ended up smashing the numbers uh, at the end of that year. As I said, great people knew what they're doing, but uh, just didn't have the right culture surrounding them. So that, that's, that's the, the corollary to the people point is yes, you've got to have the great people, but uh, you've got to have the great culture that surrounds them as well. That's, that's a
1: really great story to illustrate that point. I did want to deep dive a little deeper there. There was a few points that you'd mentioned that I was very curious about taking it from the perspective of someone who's trying to run a small business or manage a small team. So um not, not the big CEO yet what is the most important thing to focus on? I know you mentioned like people, but what what is it about the people you focus on? Is it, in, is it inspiring them? Is it motivating them? Is it just picking the right people? Is it being able to read people?
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's probably all of those things. Uh, number one, you've got to be great at picking the right people to be on the team. As I said, deploying them into the right areas where uh, they can do their best work. You've also got to be really good at... Uh, moving people out of the business or, you know, into other jobs, uh, perhaps uh, who don't belong in that role. Uh, I'll I'll give you a good example. My very first job as a manager, uh, I had a person reporting to me. Uh, She was uh, really smart, uh, very impressive, but just was in the wrong job. And so part of what I felt my responsibility was at the time was to a give her the feedback, uh, but b I said, "Look, I just think you're in the wrong place to be really successful." And so I worked with some other folks inside the organization and and with this individual uh, to find her a job that was more aligned with her skill set. So she had tons of potential, no question about it. So had the ability, uh, had the motivation, had the right attitude, just didn't have the the skill set. And so we we found her another job. Uh, and once she got into that job, she was a superstar and then moved through the organization very, very quickly uh, into some more senior roles. So I think as, as a manager, you've got to be really good at understanding the potential that people have and then aligning that potential to the kind of roles that you know, may be available. And you know, a lot of people feel like, well, when I coach people, I've got to focus on the negative things. And you can coach people forever on the negative things and they're probably never going to get better or it's it'll be marginal you know my view is if you understand people's strengths and then you align what you're asking people to do to those strengths you get far better results far happier people uh it's much more rewarding as a manager as well so uh that's that's you know to kind of bring it down to just that you know you're just you're a new manager or you've got a small team uh, I think you, you really want to get under the covers of what people's strengths are and, you know, how to kind of deploy those strengths against what you're trying to do as an organization. And then if if it's not going to be a fit, then you've got to move quickly, move the person out of the team uh, and then, you know, maybe get a different person in because sometimes it just isn't the right fit, right? Not the right cultural fit or the, the hill they have to climb in terms of skill is just too great and you don't have another role that's readily available uh, for them to move into. So um, I, I've seen that quite a bit where sometimes people just wait too long and, you know, uh, they're trying to coach. But it's a skill. I will say as a, as a new manager, it's not necessarily a skill that you're going to have. It gets better and better over time. And, and you actually get to the stage when you've been hiring people for a long time. I think you trust your gut a lot more. So you, you start to get a sense of, well, what does this look like? What, do, when I hire a great person, what does it look like? How do I feel inside when I, when I interview that person? And it becomes more of a gut feel and less of a, uh, an analytical process, if you will. But I, you know, I would say early on r- rely on the analytical process, you know, interviews and, uh, you know, some people do aptitude tests and things. I'm not a big fan of that, but, uh. You know, over time, you will you will develop that skill and understand how to uh, identify and hire the real superstars. As someone who's new to business, how would they go about even developing that skill in the first place? Yeah, that's a good question. There's there's a lot of um, resources out there. So there's different styles of interviewing. So situational interviewing uh, is one that I think people could focus on. Another one is to think about what are the the competencies that you're looking for in an individual. One of the things that I like to do when I'm hiring somebody is just create uh, four buckets and in those four buckets what I like to think about number one is what are the soft skills I'm looking for so maybe it's great teamwork strategic thinking goal oriented then I want to think about okay what are the skills that I'm looking for so aha uh-huh, you know they they are an accountant they know how to use Excel. Whatever the whatever the hard skills are that you can see and test. The third thing is, what are the things that if we think about where the business is going, what are those skills or experiences that might be useful in the future? So you know, maybe you hire somebody as a uh, a marketing manager because they've done a lot of work with websites, but you know that you're going to get into social media. So do they have that social media piece? Don't need it yet, but will need it in the future. Uh, and then the final thing is the non-negotiables, which is I find you almost never find the perfect candidate. Sometimes you do, it's great, but usually you're gonna find somebody that is a close but not perfect match. So where are you willing to compromise? And it's great to to understand that upfront. So I'll give you an example. I was once hiring for a role in the mobile phone business. So here I am working at Microsoft. And for those that remember, Microsoft used to have a mobile phone, (laughs) didn't do that well. Uh, But I had a lot of people internally that were interested in this product marketing manager role that I was hiring for. So I I had done this process. But one of the things that was on my list of non-negotiable was you had to have background in the mobile phone industry, In, in particular, selling to consumers in the mobile phone industry. Why? Because we couldn't teach that to anybody. We didn't have that expertise, so I needed to bulk up that expertise inside the organization. So it's, I think, really critical to know where you're willing to compromise and where you're not willing to compromise. Let me give you another example, though, and this is uh, something else that, that I learned at a company that I worked with, um, is we had multiple people that would interview a candidate. And one of the nice things that we used to do was at the end of the process, so let's say the person had four or five interviews. At the end of the process, after the last interview, we'd schedule a debrief and we'd all get together and we would discuss that candidate. And so it was really interesting to get other people's perspective. Uh, and, And that's one way that you learn, well, what did other people see? What kind of questions were they asking? why are they pro or or against this particular candidate so you can you can learn a lot from those around you uh, i you know i would suggest as well maybe having a mentor another another manager could be inside or outside the company but somebody that's uh, that's done a lot of hiring i think it's a, a great process is to have that open conversation about a candidate and you you pick up a lot so just to kind of recap on that right is bucket your requirements into the four categories have a mentor uh discuss with other people inside or outside the organization but certainly if you build that into the process i think it's good uh and then i'm going to give you a kind of a final bonus tip which is uh back to this idea of what's the interviewing style so some people really like and and i do like situational interviews where you you give people as as a question or two uh, in the interview process an actual situation and you see how the how they respond and I was I was subjected to that once early on in my career. Uh, I was being interviewed for a sales engineer role. And uh, great, I, you know, I go in for the interview and I get asked a certain question. It was situational. They said, well, what if this happened, ABC and, and you're at the customer and something goes wrong? And then you say, well, okay, well, here's what I would do. And then they say, well, what if that didn't work? Then what would you do? Well, then I would do this. And then they said, well, what if that didn't work <laughs> and then you you starting you're starting to sweat you go oh man like oh, well then i try this and eventually i got to the stage where i said well at that stage i'd have to bring my manager in uh and you know <laughs> ask for advice bring the manager into the customer so at the end of the interview i said to the hiring manager I said that was that was an interesting scenario you put me through he said oh yeah he goes well we're just kind of testing your judgment and we want to see like at what point do you bring the manager in, right? Or do you just give up? <laughs> so I guess I passed that part of the test because I got the job, but uh, uh, I I, I do like situational interviewing uh, in a lot of circumstances. That's, that's a great question there. <laughs> good, good process. Just to dive in a little bit deeper, it, it
1: sounds like, you, just from what you've been saying for the last little while, you, it sounds like you have a very clear process in your mind, how you go about doing it. I was just wondering if we dig deeper into that process a little more. So it sounds like the first part of the process is deciding what skills you want that position to hold or what the the team member, what do you want them to do? How do you go about deciding what
0: you want for a position? Yeah, that's a good question. There's a couple of different ways. One of the ways that I've done this, and this, is, this works in a larger organization. So let, let's say you wanna hire uh, a sales rep. So get a bunch of sales managers together and then everyone brainstorms those four categories. So we, we all say, let's think about like, who was the best person that we've ever hired or had on our teams? Uh, and and then we all provide input and we say, aha, yeah, well, these are the skills that the person had. And then these are the the soft skills or competencies, right? These are the things that really we shouldn't ever compromise on, et cetera. Uh, and so in a, in a slightly larger organization, it's great to tap into the, the shared experience around the table uh, to build that. I think if not you can go do a bunch of research look at other job descriptions that are out there go to the uh, IBM website go to the Microsoft website and you know look at what they're looking at in terms of people they're hiring for similar jobs uh, I think that can that can work quite well talk to your friends uh, and other people in in the organization but I think the thing that you've really got to you really got to understand and have a clear vision of is what are the key responsibilities and deliverables of the role? Because if you don't know that, you don't have a very big chance of mapping in the correct skills and competencies. So I think the first step is probably really looking inside yourself to uh, and, and looking at the organization and the needs of the business to understand exactly what is it that we need in this role. And we're going to, you know, really uh, make it successful. In fact, I've I've had cases where, you know, we've had roles in the company where we didn't feel like we were getting the most out of the role. And so we actually recast the role. We said, well, the expectations of the role really aren't matching the needs of the business anymore. Uh, And so that's something that you probably have to do over time is to recast some of the, the key roles and really make sure that you've got it defined correctly.
1: So I guess the first true step would actually be assessing what the business needs and then the second step would be defining very specifically yeah. what you want for that. Yeah, role. I think
0: so, you know. And and you know, hey, maybe it's a role that you you perfectly know what it is and you don't need to assess it. Uh but sometimes you do, right? And and so I think it's just do that that little check before you go hire or create a job description and and post it out there that says Is this really what I want to hire for? So I guess what, what, then what's the next step after we
1: know, you know, exactly what you want, then how do you go about filtering out people to figure out who actually has what you want or, or is that the next step?
0: (laughs) Well, I I do think that's the next step. And again, I think it depends a little bit on the environment that you're working in, but, um, uh, you want to get the word out there. Here's a job description. The job description is generally going to be crafted off those four categories that you've, you've thought about earlier. So, that makes it way easier to to craft the job description. And then it's a matter of going to market and, and trying to find those skills, which is, you know, it's probably another maybe episode in itself.
1: We'll save that for a different that's Which is that's you know, how do you do recruiting? Itself. You know, how,
0: how do you set it up as an engine? But I will say, uh, I love referrals. Birds of a feather flock together. So, if you're getting referrals from the rock stars in your organization, there's a good chance that those people are going to be rock stars as well. And then
1: I guess the next step after you put out the word and try to get your feelers out and find someone,
0: which is the interview step, is that correct? Um, maybe. maybe. Uh, so uh, there may be an intermediate step, which is a, kind of a screening step. You start with a long list, and then you try to get that down to a shorter list of individuals. And you know, how that step works, again, is, is different from place to place. Uh, you know, A lot more organizations these days are using applicant tracking systems. Or as I've heard it called, applicant trashing systems. Uh, so they're, you know, it's like <laughs> the the AI is getting involved and you know screening people out. I don't know if you've ever used Indeed, but I'll tell you, it's a daunting task when you have 300 job applications in front of you and you've got to go through them. Wow. And you can spend about three nanoseconds on each one to try to find the people that you really need. This, as an aside. The great thing about the internet and digital technology is it's given us access to way more candidates for every job. The bad thing about it is it's given us way more access to candidates for every job. Uh, and, and so the, the tools I think are not fantastic to help us really uh, get the right candidates in the pipeline. But, you know, so we've now, we've now got a big pipeline of candidates. The, the next key is let's get it down to a long list and then you can kind of assess, hopefully, against your back to your four buckets of what you want, who is who looks like they're uh, they're matching up. Now, one of the fastest techniques I've used is I start with the non-negotiables. So I go to the non-negotiable list, and if I don't see that, they're they're in the reject pile, reject pile, reject pile, right? Um, and so what I like to try to do. In job descriptions when i post them now is to put in the things that i want that are non-negotiable to say candidates must have a b c d uh, and uh, hopefully that screens out some folks but that's generally the first way that i go through it is do they have what i consider to be the non-negotiables if not uh, unfortunately they're going in the in the rejection pile uh, once i get down to and there's another there's another way and maybe a larger company which is You've got screeners, you've got you know some recruiters inside the company uh, that may help you to screen the list. So that way, you know I might say, well, look, I want a list of five really great candidates. Don't show me the list of fifteen. You know, somebody else has to get it down to five. You've got to brief that person, obviously. But I think in terms of of interviews, ideally, you want to get enough candidates in the interview process that you feel like you're getting a good cross-section or good representation of the skills that are out there. I'm always nervous if I'm not interviewing at least three to four candidates for a job. And I think the other thing to recognize is that interviewing is super time consuming. So if you think about, if I'm going to have five candidates for a job and each of those candidates might have five or six interviews, so you're talking 25 to 30 interviews. If each one goes for an hour, that's 30 hours of interview time in your organization. And uh, that, that's a, a fair bit of time. And then if you want people to write up notes and then do a debrief. Uh, so hiring people is a time-intensive activity. But that, if you go back to where we started this conversation, it's the most important thing you can do in the business, right, is getting the right people in the jobs is job number one. So if you're gonna spend a lot of time on anything, that's where you wanna spend your time. That's a good way to bring it around.
1: Owen, as always, it's amazing to talk with you. You're full of insights and then story for everything as always, Um, it was great talking to you about um, hiring process and getting into the details of that. Uh, I mean, I know personally, when I'm running a business, I always like to try to get into the nitty gritty and find out like exactly what you should be looking for in situations because that's ultimately what's helpful in the
0: moment. Yeah, great. Thanks, Doug. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. I've enjoyed this and I'll leave people with one final thought. If you're an early stage company, a lot of people think that, you know, venture capitalists are looking at the idea. They're looking at the market. And yes, they are. But they're also looking at the team and the people. And they've got to believe that this is the right team. These are the right people that can execute this idea. Thanks
1: for joining us for another episode of the Minimum Viable Podcast, where we share stories about how to start up, show up, and scale up.
0: Make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or anywhere else that podcasts are streamed so you'll never miss an episode.